0: Sit down, okay? We're going to talk about two mountains. That's the name of our title. We're talking about the approachable God. Our text is Hebrews. And just have a seat. You can have a seat. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would absolutely continue to do whatever it is you're doing into this place. God, help us to transition into your word right now. Help us right now to receive everything that we possibly can from your word, from your word, from your word, from your word, from your word. From your word. talk about is the fear of the Lord. Anybody just sense God in this house? The fear of the Lord. The children of Israel when they were brought supernaturally out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery God brought them to a mountain, Mount Sinai. And that experience shaped their theology for centuries right up into the time of Christ. It impacted them so much. It caused them to see God a certain Now, there's a big difference between a healthy fear of God and being terrified of God. A healthy fear of God is having a deep reverence and respect for who God is. He's the Almighty. He's the Creator. He's Sovereign. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to fear his name in a respectful, holy way. But being terrified of God is unhealthy and irrational. Why? Because he loves us more than any other being in the universe, even more than your mom or dad. Pastor Russ reminded me of a book by John Bevere. Anybody read John Bevere? He wrote a book about the fear of the Lord. And listen to to what he said. He said, a healthy fear of God draws you closer. It does you good. It, it, It brings you closer to the Father. An unhealthy fear pushes you away. Does you harm. So why did the Israelites have this view and in this theology of God? Why does God seem so different in the Old Testament? I've had good friends, Adrian, you know, good Christian friends literally say this. Why is God mean in the Old Testament? Why is God mean? To be honest, has anybody read been reading the Old Testament, a story in the Old Testament, and had that very thought? Come on, be honest. It's like you're reading along and go, He did what? He asked them to do what? That's terrible. That's mean. That's awful. So, why the drastic difference? Hebrews 12 18, it's on the board. The writer of Hebrews says, you, and he's talking to Jewish believers. He's talking to Jews who had accepted Christ as the Messiah. He was talking to Jewish people who knew the history. They knew their history. Guys, I'm skipping all those slides. I apologize. Let's go right to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. There we go. You, talking to Hebrew? Christians have not come to a physical mountain to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking look up here, I don't know about you but I want God to speak to me Anybody else? Amen. I I don't just want God. I pray that God would speak to me every single day. I pray he would speak to me, his will about my family, his will about how I would lead this church. I want God to speak to me. So what's the deal here? Why wouldn't they want God to speak? Verse 20, they staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. God is saying, do not approach me. God is saying, you cannot approach me as you are. verse 21, Moses himself. Moses was the leader. This was the guy that God used that stood before Pharaoh, risking his life time and time again to deliver the children of Israel. This is the guy who God appeared as the burning bush in the desert. This is the man. This is the leader. It says Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Now, get ready for the shift. You ready? Verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. You, you who are followers of Christ have come to Mount Zion. You have come to a different mountain, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in what? A joyful gathering. Did anybody feel the joy of the Lord this morning in worship? Does anybody sense the joy of the Lord right now still in this room? There's a difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Verse 23, he says, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, not just a mountain, but a person who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Now I know I've had my my nose in this thing for the last couple of weeks, and I'm you can tell I'm passionate about this. I love this, and this is a little bit different. But I just sensed this morning we had to get right into it. I just felt the Holy Spirit saying you need to just bypass the other stuff and get right into this because listen, this is not the normal topical type fun sermon. This is teaching. This is this is theology. Don't be afraid of theology. All that means is the study of God. We're studying God this morning. Why does it say that Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness, but Abel's blood from the Old Testament is crying out for vengeance? Jesus answers that question in John chapter 10. This is powerful. Don't miss this. John chapter 10 verse 18 says, No one, everybody say no one, This is Jesus speaking. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Let me repeat the question. Why did Jesus' blood, or why did it say Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness and Abel's blood in the Old Testament speaks and cries out, for vengeance. Write this down. It's on the board. Abel's life was taken, but Jesus's life was given. Let me you didn't quite I think three people got it. Jesus's or Abel's life was taken, but Jesus's life was given. Abel had no choice in the matter. He was murdered by his brother Cain. His life was Taken from him. But see, Jesus was God in the flesh. Nobody could take his life. At any moment, during that whole scene, at any time, in the garden, in the trial, in the beating, in carrying that awful cross on his bloody back, Before the nails would go into his arms, any time he could have called down heaven and they would have been rescued. But he chose not to because nobody could take his life. He gave it willingly. I've heard people say he was murdered. No, he was not murdered. He gave his life. A murdered person doesn't give their life. It's taken from them. Jesus gave his life. God desired to be reconciled with His people. God desired to change the picture from Mount Zion, from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary. God desired to become, listen, approachable again. Have you ever noticed that the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, did you ever notice that they were always mad at Jesus? It didn't matter where he went. It didn't matter if he was in the temple, if he was out in a field somewhere, if he was on the side of a mountain. It didn't matter what he was doing, they were always mad. He would heal somebody. Mad. He would feed thousands of hungry people. Mad. He even raised a little girl from the dead. And it didn't matter what he did, where he went, they were mad. What was the cause of this hatred and this anger? He wasn't... Adrian it wasn't really necessarily what he was what he said there were a lot of things people were saying in that time there were a lot of people who would rise up and say all kinds of things that really wasn't what it was here's the difference with Jesus everybody with me people were listening and not just a few people thousands of people were listening to what he had to say and to what he was doing and receiving ministry from him and he was talking about a God that yes, he was holy and just and righteous and all of those things but he was also a loving God a God that desired to once again very soon be approachable again by every man, woman, boy and girl who would decide to come into his presence and that was more than they could take are you hearing me? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? That wasn't what they knew of God. That wasn't their view of God. And also, here's the other thing. They were very rich and very powerful. And they didn't want to lose that either. They were very influential. And this went against everything that they had been taught, everything that they believed. They thought He was really in here. They were too blind. This is what they knew. This is what they knew. This is what they were basing this on. God is holy. Is that true? Yes. God is holy, and and a person didn't just nonchalantly stroll into the presence of God. There was a protocol for entering God's presence, and only the high priest could enter in only once a year to offer sacrifices for the sin. And here's what else they knew. In the Old Testament, God used the nation of Israel to judge the inhabitants of Canaan for their sin, for their flagrant sin, their disregard for human life. These were all the ites, the Parasites, the Amorites, the, all the all those ites that you read about and you can't even pronounce in the Old Testament. God used Israel to wipe them off the planet because of their sin, because they were sacrificing their kids to their gods. They were terrible, wicked, evil people, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah. God used Israel to judge them. God commanded Joshua, listen, to show no mercy. regardless of age, race, or gender. Everybody look at me. It was violent. It was bloody. It was horrible. It was devastating. And this is what those leaders knew of God. Mount Sinai was what they knew of God. So how in the world do we reconcile that God of wrath and judgment with how we think God should be? You know, our our, our seeker-sensitive version of God, our American version of God. Got quiet then, didn't it? According to Hebrews thirteen eight, Jehovah God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that demanded holiness and justice in the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. I let the cat out of the bag earlier. Look at the board. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. Somebody say that with me. The difference is Jesus. Say it again. The difference is Jesus. Now give God a praise for Jesus. He is the one who makes the difference. Because God is the same. He's a loving God, but he's a holy God. Jesus would willingly become the focus of all God's wrath and judgment for sin in our place. Jesus would become the perfect sacrifice that would forever transform the experience of terror that they had at Mount Sinai with the opportunity for grace and celebration at Mount Calvary. Jesus would once again and for all time make Jehovah God approachable again. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. I know that's hard preaching. I know that's unpopular preaching. I know that's not necessarily the preaching that will fill the auditoriums. But I have gotten to the place where I just don't care about that. I want to make sure we preach the whole word of God. I want to make sure that you understand why Jesus had to give his life. I want you to understand how to talk to your friends and loved ones about The Word of God, and about why not just Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Well, why? Why did Jesus have to die? Because God is holy. Because God is holy. And He can't tolerate sin, not even one. But God is also love. And he demonstrated that in Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to make God approachable again. These Jewish leaders... They were too busy with their religious exercise and with their power and with their money and with their traditions to see that they were persecuting the very one who could bring an end to the terror of Mount Sinai. How many times, listen, listen, listen. How many times are we too blinded with our lives and the busyness of our lives and the agenda of our life to see what Jesus is trying to do in us? How many times? We're not any different than they are. How many times do we give up what God is trying to do in our life for things that we want? For our agenda, for our purposes? They didn't want a Messiah who would lay down his life. Come on, they didn't want that. They wanted a king, they wanted a ruler, they wanted somebody who could come in and overthrow Rome so that Israel could be a great superpower again, and so they could be in charge. You see, in the Old Testament, I know, I know, I'm teaching here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, it's theology. In the Old Testament, there were two lines of prophecy, the suffering servant and the reigning king. They totally ignored the suffering. The suffering servant had to come First. The suffering servant had to come as a babe in a manger. The suffering servant had to grow up as a child and be be, uh, go go through everything that we do. The suffering servant had to be tempted by the devil and overcome. The suffering servant had to live like we do and be be open to everything that we are to be tempted in every way but without sin. The suffering servant had to be beaten mercilessly. The suffering servant had to go to the cross. The suffering servant had to go to the grave but the suffering servant didn't stay in the grave. He rose again and one day he will come back as the reigning king of glory. But they didn't want that. They wanted just the king. They wanted just the king. They wanted to bypass the other. And they missed the Messiah. As we close, I want to look at the differences between these two mountains. Hang in there with me, okay? I want to look at these. These are life-changing. Sinai represents a physical experience, temporary. There was an end date to what happened at Mount Sinai. But Calvary represents a spiritual experience that is everlasting. There's no end date to what Jesus did on the cross, somebody. Come on, there's no end date to salvation, there's no end date to what he did to make God approachable. Again, Fire, terror, and darkness describe Mount Sinai. But Mount Calvary represents the beginning of a new covenant and a joyful gathering, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, you and me coming together in joy and not terror because of what Jesus did. Hallelujah. At Mount Sinai, God is hidden. And mysterious at Calvary, God is revealed through Jesus Christ. That's who God is. Love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. Death surrounds Mount Sinai, but life flows from mount calvary fear defines sinai but hope emanates from calvary sin is the focus at mount sinai but at calvary love conquers all at sinai they felt alone and afraid even moses the leader was terrified but at calvary we have a mediator we have a go-between we have a buffer we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother we have jesus christ that means we are never alone do you understand that you never have to be alone because of jesus He says he would never leave you or forsake you, that he'd walk through every situation with you. If you're here this morning and you feel alone, it's only because you haven't approached God with your situation because you don't have to be alone. At Sinai, there is only judgment. At Calvary, there is forgiveness. At Mount Sinai, Moses was a type and a shadow of the Messiah, but he was not adequate. He just was not adequate. He was not. But at Calvary, Jesus is the Messiah. At Calvary, Jesus is the King. At Calvary, Jesus is the Savior. At Calvary, God became approachable again. for us to have a relationship with the God of the Bible, the whole Bible, not our version. (sighs) Please hear my heart. I know that I had some very strong words earlier about how God is. How many would rather hear that than be deceived later? Probably not everybody. (laughs) But guys, I can't stand in front of God one day. I can't. I'm not going to. And And him say, why didn't you preach all of it? We can't have a relationship with the God of the Bible we need unless we understand and appreciate the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. Both pictures are portraits of the same God, a God who is holy and righteous and just and cannot tolerate sin. But listen, you know, the gospel, it means what? Thank you. I was like, oh, no. The gospel means good news, and here is the good news. Mount Calvary is proof that God so loved the world that he didn't want to leave this picture of Mount Sinai to be the last thing. He wanted, He loved us so much that he wanted to make a way through his own son that we could once again come into his presence that we could once again have a relationship with him. God so loved the world. His love conquers all of the wrath, all of the judgment, all of that stuff that we don't want to talk about. The love of God is greater. Love conquers all. Jesus loves you with an undying love. Jesus is the difference. The big idea. The tale of two mountains is the story of the same God. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. That's been the theme all morning. Somebody say it again with me. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. Why would we let the opportunity go by? Jesus gave us life so that we could come into God's presence so that we could approach God. Are you hearing me? Why would we ever, 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 ever let that opportunity go by? Because we got to get out of here and get to lunch? Is that more important? Because we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to get on with the day? We don't want to get up that early to have that time? When I was a little boy, six or seven years old, I was standing in line. My, my dad and I were standing in line to sign up for baseball. I was excited. I'd never played. I was playing basketball at the time. I was, that was my sport. I always did that swim team in the summer. I was a great swimmer. I loved that. But it was time for baseball. America's pastime. As we got closer to the front of that line, I started looking around seeing all those kids, all those boys. And I started thinking, (laughs) I don't know how to play baseball. I don't know how to play baseball. What if I make a complete idiot of myself? This is a six-year-old. I'm telling the truth. What if I make an idiot of myself in front of all those kids? A fear came over me. A fear came over me. And I grabbed my dad's, started tugging on my dad's pant leg. And I said, dad, I want to leave. I don't want us to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to sign up. And my dad is a very laid back man. He's always had that philosophy of with sports is your kids want to fine; if They don't fine. So we left. He might have said, Oh, come on. Are you sure? And that was about it. Now, if my mother had been with me, I probably would have been the major league, you know, baseball player because she would have never. No, not really. But she would have. She wouldn't have let, let me leave. She was just that type. She was like, "Oh no, you're going. To, we're here. You're going to sign up." But we didn't. We left. And you know, I regret that to this day. Think about it. No six-year-old is good at baseball. It was irrational. And because of that fear the joy of playing that sport was taken how much has been taken by the enemy in your life because you were afraid there are people in here with a calling on your life And you're not walking in that calling. You're not walking in that purpose because of fear. I tell you what. Let's have a holy fear of the Lord instead. Let's respect God instead, and let's take advantage of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Let's approach God together, and let's let him anoint us for the purpose that he has called us to and say, in the name of Jesus, you will not give me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, and I'm going to do something great for you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Give him praise if that's you today. pray, but you have to promise not to leave because we haven't taken the offering yet. (laughs) Can I get my, my prayer team up here, please? We're going to remain seated though. Just keep, come on up, come on up. Yeah. If you would say, Pastor Allen, there's, there, there are things in my life and there, there's been fears in my life and I, there's been things in my life that, that have kept me from God's purposes. But today I want to approach the God of heaven and do away with that. I want to pray that God would remove that fear, that God would use me for what he's called me to do. Would you raise your hand? All over the building. Would you keep him up, keep him up. All over the building, all over the building, all over the building. I want you to be bold if you have your hand up. There's a lot of you, so don't worry. And come up, come up front with me. Come approach God. Come on, come on, come on. Come find somebody. Kathy, would you come help me pray? Father, help me pray, church. Just stretch your hands this way, if you don't mind, and just help me pray. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we dispel fear. We dispel fear in the name of Jesus, and we pray, God, and we're so thankful that because of the blood of Jesus, we can approach you. We can approach you with boldness into the very holy of holies. The veil has been rent in half, and we can step in because of your grace, because of your mercy. And, God, it says that your plans for us are good. Your plans for us are wonderful. Your plans for us are great. And I pray, God, that in the name of Jesus, that fear would be dispelled and removed in the name of Jesus and that, God, you would come in like a flood. You would come in like a flood and bind every spirit of darkness from this place and from these people, these precious people that say, we know we have a calling. We know we have a purpose to live out in this earth. And, God, we're not going to let fear keep us from that any longer. Lord and Jesus, name, I pray that fear would be bound and removed from this house and there would be no regrets no regrets that Jesus you would be the difference maker you are the difference maker Lord Jesus, we thank you Father, I pray for my brother right now that you would dispel fear in his life and that you would raise him up as a mighty man of God and that you would use him Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Hallelujah Hallelujah! Just continue to pray. Continue to pray. I know this is unusual. I know this is different, but we're still. Hey, we still. We're still on time. So don't don't panic. Don't panic. Just just worship. Just worship. Just worship. Hallelujah. Forever.